In December 2017, the Federal Communications Commission put the kibosh on a two-and-a-half-year experiment in net neutrality. Today on Hyperlink Radio, I'll discuss what this decision means for the fate of net neutrality, how the battleground of this debate has shifted wide open, and why we probably shouldn't be putting the fate of the internet in the hands of one guy with an oversized Reese's Pieces mug. Look it up. Hyperlink is hyperlink. Welcome to Season 2 of Hyperlink Radio, Episode 8. I'm today's host, Ray Sylvester. Hyperlink Radio is a bi-annual series of podcast episodes that explores how we connect with each other, with our technology, and with the world around us. We are proudly produced by Winning Edits, which also publishes the magazine Hyperlink. Find us online at winningedits.com and get the latest episodes of Hyperlink Radio by subscribing via iTunes, Stitcher, or RSS. You can visit hyperlinkradio.io to learn more. Again, that's hyperlinkradio.io. On December 14, 2017, the Federal Communications Commission, under the leadership of Commissioner Ajit Pai, a man who had been appointed by President Trump in January 2017, went ahead with a much-anticipated and controversial decision. On a close party-line vote, the FCC decided to roll back the 2015 Open Internet Order, which had been put in place during the Obama administration to provide so-called net neutrality protections aimed at ensuring an open playing field for consumers and content providers on the Internet. To say this was an unpopular decision would be, to put it lightly, A survey by the University of Maryland right around the time of the FCC's decision found that a whopping 83% of Americans support net neutrality. In this light, the FCC's December action seems like a monumental spit in the face of overwhelming popular mandate, an affront to democracy even. But despite all of this, net neutrality fans can take solace in one key fact. The battle for net neutrality is far from over. It's just moved around a bit. The first place the net neutrality battle shifted in the wake of the FCC's December decision? That would be the courts. In January 2018, more than 20 states and the District of Columbia sued to try to block the FCC's action. And as of March 2018, 12 total lawsuits had been filed by more than three dozen entities, all challenging the FCC's decision. These 12 lawsuits have been consolidated into one suit that will be heard at a federal appeals court in California. The fight to restore net neutrality at the federal level is also ongoing in Congress. In January, 49 congressional Democrats moved to block the FCC's decision through a Congressional Review Act resolution sponsored by Massachusetts Democrat Ed Markey. They even convinced Maine Republican Susan Collins to break with her party and join the effort. 
Now, getting this measure to pass in the House and become law is an unlikely order. But what the Democrats' effort here potentially does is establish net neutrality as a core issue for the party, one around which they can rally voters in the 2018 midterm elections. You remember that figure from the University of Maryland study I quoted a minute ago? Well, by placing themselves decidedly on the pro side of an issue that 83% of Americans also believe in, it's arguably not a terrible electoral strategy to win back some seats in the upcoming midterm. Let's zoom back out, though. We've seen a little bit in how, despite the FCC's December decision to shut down the 2015 open internet order, net neutrality is not exactly dead yet. In the wake of that decision, rather than shutting down the whole net neutrality question, the battleground of the debate has shifted instead into a much wider space, and in so doing, has raised potentially more questions than answers. So beyond the courts and Congress, where else has this battle shifted? In addition to the attempt by those 20-odd states and D.C. to block the FCC's decision, a large number of states have taken the net neutrality question directly into their own hands. In March, Washington became the first state to pass its very own net neutrality protections, and other states have been following suit. At this point, early April, more than half of the states in the country have joined the net neutrality resistance in some form or another. Although only Washington has so far passed any laws to protect net neutrality, in a handful of other states, net neutrality bills have been recently introduced into the state legislature. In several other states, the state attorneys general have filed suit against the FCC. And 12 mayors in nine states have joined the Mayors for Neutrality Coalition, all pledging to protect net neutrality on their home turf. All in all, 29 states have joined the fight against the FCC decision by attempting to pass protections of their own. By the way, you can follow the status of these state-level efforts by checking out the handy infographic at digitalmusicnews.com. We'll drop that link in the show notes. So the net neutrality resistance is still alive and well, but net neutrality opponents are not standing by idly either. This includes most notably the telecom industry. Back in March, a lobbyist group representing AT&T, Verizon, and several other telecom companies announced plans to, quote, aggressively, quote, sue states and cities that try to enforce their own net neutrality rules. Which brings us to perhaps the biggest elephant in the room when it comes to the fate of net neutrality protections in the wake of the FCC's 2017 action. You see, when the FCC made that decision to roll back the 2015 open internet order, they also inserted language into that decision that claimed the FCC had the authority to preempt the ability of any states to pass legislation that would enforce net neutrality on their own terms. Essentially, the FCC tried to tell the states, you're not allowed to do net neutrality. We're taking the net neutrality ball and going home. And it's this little piece of legal horseplay that is likely to be the crux around which this next phase of the net neutrality battle revolves. It all boils down to an apparent contradiction in what the FCC is trying to do here. Can the FCC simultaneously give up its responsibility to enforce net neutrality regulations as it did with the December decision, and at the same time 
claim the authority to prevent states from doing the opposite? Can the FCC wash its hands of its responsibility to regulate the internet and simultaneously prevent others from enacting that kind of regulation? Over the next couple of years, we will likely see this very question play out at the court level. Although it's difficult to tell at this early stage, and I'm of course no legal scholar, some legal commentators believe that the FCC has put itself on shaky ground here by taking a position that has no obvious basis in any congressional statute or constitutional provision that would grant it the ability to preempt state-level rules in the way that they're trying to do. And so the FCC, if it wants to win this fight, and it probably does, might need to pull something special out of their hat. They might need to go rummaging through their hall closet or filing cabinet to find that statute or provision or piece of law that essentially lets them do what they're trying to do here. If the FCC fails, should their attempt to preempt the states fall flat, we may see those states start to grab even more latitude to take the net neutrality question even more firmly into their own hands. But it's here that the picture gets potentially even more complicated. You see, with multiple states all trying to exact their own forms of net neutrality protection, we may be headed down a road where these collective efforts lead to an even more complex and fractured picture of how the internet is regulated. There's potential that we'll end up with a patchwork of different policies and protections that ultimately cause more confusion and maybe even harm to consumers than a lack of net neutrality provisions at the federal level might do. Massachusetts is one of the states that is attempting to pass its own laws to protect net neutrality in the state. As of early April 2018, a bill currently sits in the Massachusetts State Senate that aims to promote net neutrality through a couple of different methods, including the use of state government contracts and by targeting practices like blocking or throttling certain forms of online content. One group that's opposed to this legislation is the New England Cable and Telecommunications Association. This is a trade association that represents private cable telecommunications companies in Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and Vermont. You know, New England. According to Tim Wilkerson, who's a spokesperson for the association, although the companies it represents, quote, support and adhere to the principles of net neutrality, end quote, Wilkerson also argues that, quote, Regulating the internet with a patchwork of state regulations will only harm consumers in Massachusetts and across New England, end quote. Wilkerson is referring to just one attempt in Massachusetts to enforce net neutrality at the state level, but the point he makes could be taken and applied in the context of other states' attempts to pass their own net neutrality rules. And although we at Winning Edits find ourselves firmly on the pro side of this whole net neutrality question, I have to concede Wilkerson may have a point. Is it really what we want for everyone to have to lug around a veritable hitchhiker's guide to the internet in their back pockets just so they can wrap their heads around the different net neutrality laws and regulations in every state and municipality they travel to or do business with? Needless to say, we'll see how this all plays out in the coming months and years. But before we sign off, there's one other notable potential outcome here that's worth mentioning. And that is a stalemate. One where those on neither side of the net neutrality debate make much headway with their respective causes. 
thanks to multiple ongoing battles being fought between states, the FCC, the White House, Congress, the telecom industry. But there's a potential silver lining to such a stalemate too. And that is that it may finally exasperate factions on both sides of the net neutrality debate, enough to goad them all a little closer to crafting a lasting resolution to the whole question. A net neutrality law passed by Congress, one that's no longer subject to the partisan whims of whoever happens to be FCC commissioner, which, by the way, was the Achilles heel of the 2015 open internet order, and really of any decision the FCC might ever make regarding net neutrality. You see, with the FCC, impermanence and instability is the name of the game. And that doesn't work so well when we're talking about the core legal framework that determines how consumers and companies conduct their lives and their businesses on the entire freaking internet. So perhaps what this next chapter in the net neutrality saga will help us determine is that we're all just tired of subjecting the fate of the internet, the most powerful communications technology in history, to the whims of the political wind vane that is the FCC. By the way, as of this recording, the first week of April 2018, the net neutrality rules under the 2015 order are still in effect. Minor parts of the FCC's December decision to roll it back may be put into effect on April 23rd, but implementation of the full repeal is still contingent on approval by the U.S. Office of Management and Budget. So, enjoy net neutrality for just a little while longer, folks. If you'd like to learn more about the concept of net neutrality and how we got to where we are in the fight for net neutrality, check out episode two of season one of Hyperlink Radio, as well as the Concerned Citizen's Guide to Net Neutrality, one of the feature articles in the first issue of Hyperlink Magazine. Find that online at medium.com slash hyperlink dash mag. Again, that's medium.com slash hyperlink dash mag. Thanks for listening. This season, we're sharing a link of the week at the end of each episode. This is an awesome corner of the internet that we've discovered recently. This week's link of the week is something that was making the rounds on social media a couple weeks ago, and it's a map of the world, but it's a little different from most maps of the world that you've probably seen. This map is unique because each country is labeled with the literal translation of that country's name. It's a really cool map, and it was put together by a company called Credit Card Compare that's based in Australia. Go figure. I was surprised at how many countries' original names I was totally unaware of. It's a really beautiful map. You can find it at creditcardcompare.com.au. Again, that's creditcardcompare.com.au. Some of my favorite original country names include In the Naval of the Moon, which is Mexico, River of Rivers, which is Niger, Where the Land Ends, Chile, and Land of the Finns, which is obviously Taiwan. Just kidding, it's Finland. So, super cool. I really, really hope they make a physical version of this map you can order and stick on your wall. So, if you're listening, Credit Card Compare, go do that. Next week, my Winning Edits colleague, Known Wells, interviews Todd Lawton of Out of Print, a company that wears its passion for books and literacy on its sleeves. Literally. Known chats with Todd about Out of Print's origin story, what the company is doing for literacy, and how it's strategizing its own growth. To find out more about Hyperlink Radio, 
visit hyperlinkradio.io, where you'll find show notes, bonus content, links, and other episodes from seasons one and two. You can also subscribe to Hyperlink Radio via iTunes, Stitcher, or however you like to listen to your podcasts. One more time, you can find us at hyperlinkradio.io. Thanks again, and stay connected.